It's a necessary evil. It's a rite of passage. It's unavoidable. But it doesn't have to be the worst part of your child's day or yours. Join us as we do a deep dive into homework, what we think, how it feels, and what to do to make it easier. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Welcome to episode 06 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. Homework is definitely something that is hard for a lot of families, which is why we wanted to make sure we do an episode on homework early on in our podcasting journey. We know how much it sucks. We as educational therapists have to maintain pretty clear boundaries on homework. We're not homework helpers. We're not homework coaches. We are trying to teach skills and strategies. And yes, it sometimes makes sense to do homework as we build these strategies, but not always. It's a really fine balance. Be sure to go back to episode 00 to learn how educational therapy is different from tutoring or homework helping. We justified the discussion of homework in our world as ETs because it's all the other parts of homework that we work on. It's strategy, approach, how to handle a difficult concept, grit, time management, prioritization, task initiation, project management, etc. It's never about completing homework in session, but rather managing homework, stress, approach, and efficiency. Steph and I have a lot of feelings about homework. We firmly believe that kids should be able to be kids too. Yes. We do not want to delve too far into the great homework debate. There is so much research about the pros and cons and whether or not homework is a good idea. It's really not the point of this episode because the reality is homework is a part of the vast majority of student lives and it's something we have to deal with as a therapist and it's something that parents have to deal with as parents and it's something that teachers believe in and teachers are assigning. It's the reality of our students' lives. And we just want to make sure that you guys know that we know how hard homework time is in your household and how stressful it can be with when your child isn't doing it the way that you think that they should be doing it or not getting it done at all or not turning it in. Or doing it incorrectly. Doing it incorrectly. There's so many different aspects of homework, but this is just a generalization about how to help you get through homework time. Homework should be a couple of different things. It really should be a reinforcement of concepts. A lot of schools do the flip model of having students learn the material at home and then do homework in school. But the reality is most students are probably in a more traditional school where they're learning the material at school with their teachers and then doing the reinforcement piece at home in homework. The reality is, is that in elementary school, there is reading, writing, and math homework. And in middle school, there's homework that's due on different days and more longer-term assignments and projects. This complicates everything, so be sure to go back and listen to episode two, How to Calendar, to learn how to begin to help manage homework. So the daily struggle of homework, it's creating time, 
it's when you have a child that's struggling, this after school time is excruciating, right? Many kids come home and they don't want to start on their homework right away because they're burnt out from the day. And then it becomes a big fight between you and your child. Because the rest of the time after school becomes about not family time, not relaxation time, not time to reconnect. It becomes about getting this homework done. And most students who struggle in school, this is something that I repeat a lot. Most students who struggle in school actually work twice as hard to produce half as much as their peers. I want to repeat that. Most students who struggle in school work twice as hard as their peers and produce half as much. And this is when it becomes essential to have a conversation with your child's teacher, which we will dig into a little bit later in this episode. So remember, it's not about your child is defying you in particular. Mm -mm. It's very hard. And remember, their day is so long while they're at school. They're little guys. Even high schoolers, it's still a really long day. Homework can remove the love of learning for a lot of students. And as a therapist, and I'm sure for you as parents, this is heartbreaking. So we do everything we can to preserve that love of learning. And I just want to add something into something that you just said, Steph, which is their day is so long at school. If you actually break down how many transitions, projects, concepts, ideas, responsibilities that our students have as students in a school environment, it's a lot more than we have as working professionals. And they have a lot to manage every day. And that's just inside the classroom. Remember, they're still learning how to navigate social relationships and who they are as little people and figuring out what they like and how to play games on the playground and know the rules and the social situations. All of it is exhausting and a lot. And it's important. That aspect of how to be a little person and how to be a kind and empathetic and loving friend, that's not intuitive for a lot of students. So in addition to learning concepts and learning ideas and learning like reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? <laughs> they're they're learning how to navigate the world without mom and dad right next to them. Even in high school, that's what's happening. So all of that is exhausting and plays into why they're avoiding homework. Fair enough. So a frequently asked question that we get is about homework and how long it should take. So to answer your question, homework that takes hours when it shouldn't, there's a problem. What is developmentally appropriate for a second grader is not going to be doing two hours of homework every night, but a high schooler should be doing two hours of homework every night. So taking into account how old your kid is and what is developmentally appropriate for them. Now, I want to be clear about saying that because it's actually not about what's developmentally appropriate for their chronological age, but what's developmentally appropriate for them. And what that means is you might have a 10-year-old and there is a chronological understanding of what should be appropriate for them. They may not be there yet. You might have a 10-year-old, but where they are developmentally is closer to a 7- or 8-year-old. And that needs to be taken into account. We only want to hold our children to the level that they are currently. And we'll definitely get into that as we start to Mm -hmm. discuss more things like ADHD 
But in episode 01, when we talk about running your own race and making sure to meet your child where they're at, knowing that if you're comparing your 10-year-old to another 10-year-old, and let's say your 10-year-old has ADHD, developmentally, they might be seven. So make sure you take all of that into consideration when understanding what homework should look like and what it shouldn't look like. I feel fairly strongly about having this discussion about homework taking longer when it shouldn't because primarily the students who are coming to me and the clients who are coming to me oftentimes have an area of challenge in math. And I get really triggered by drill and kill math assignments. In math, it is of the utmost importance that students understand concepts. So why are 50 of the same type of problem being assigned? You really have to be mindful about what is the reason for that type of assignment. And what I'm about to say is going to be controversial, but I hope that it helps somebody kind of reframe the area of struggle in your household. If your student is spending three hours a night completing math homework and there are tears and there's fighting about it, cut them off. Totally agree. Nothing will happen if they don't complete the assignment. Are we really worried about the grades of an elementary age student or even a middle school student? Yes, there are exceptions with private schools, and we acknowledge that element. And in private school situation, elementary and middle schools, quote unquote, does count. But if you're trying to get into a middle school or a high school in a private school setting, this is a conversation with your child's teacher about what is happening at home. Our ultimate need as ed therapists is our desire to really preserve a child's love of learning. And three hours of math homework does nothing to help. You know, I have this conversation with parents sometimes when I'm telling them that lights out bedtime might be appropriate and cutting them off and not letting them go late into the night or it's breaking down that your relationship with your child is really becoming all about this homework struggle. And I really try to reframe it with parents about what is really important here. Right. Is your child's happiness more important than the fact that they have 50 addition and subtraction problems Mm -hmm. when they are in first grade? And I'm not kidding. I've seen it before. Me too. So just try to put that into perspective because this really isn't about what your child can and can't do when it comes to 50 addition and subtraction problems. It really is about helping them be able to be successful and have a goal of let's just do this amount of problems then, something that's appropriate for them. And you're the parent and we are empowering you to make those decisions. We're going to talk later on in this episode about how to partner with your child's teacher You're the parent, and if you are noticing this struggle in your house and you don't like it, we're going to give you some tips on what to do. All our tips are not going to be like wash your hands of the homework and just forget it and don't do that. That's not what we're advocating for. What we're advocating for is what is reasonable. There is another older student problem that comes up often with homework, (laughs) which is students start homework at 9 p.m., (laughs) So, Steph, you have an example about this, and I certainly have some opinions on this issue. So there's an ideal time to start homework, and there's been a lot of research about this. 
But when I'm telling the kids this, I use the kids that can drive or definitely probably if you live in a colder climate than we do in Los Angeles. I use this example of a car. And when you think about when you're starting a car and let's say it's really cold, you start your car and you need the engine to run a second for it to warm up, right? And some of the kids know this, especially the older ones. And I sit there and say, how much longer does it take for the engine to warm up in order to get driving? This is the same thing as after school. If you wait a really long time between when you get out of school and you start homework, it's like you're starting all over again and your brain has to warm up. So starting at 9 p.m. is not an ideal time to start homework. I've never heard this car example, and I just want to compliment the queen of the metaphor. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> uh-huh. About this 9 p.m. start time, there's a reason that suddenly a bunch of stuff gets done yes. at 9 p.m. Yes. And the kid is going to bed at 11, and that's not enough sleep for any student who's waking up super early for school. But it's because there's now this sense of urgency that they did not have earlier in the day. So I often talk to parents, this is about creating structure and creating limits and rules in your home that can be really hard to enforce. So when I have a student who has ADHD, for example, because I think this is pretty typical of students with ADHD to wait until that sense of urgency at nine o'clock at night, which is, oh man, I really need to be going to bed soon, but now I have to start all my homework. You want to create that feeling earlier in the day, but that requires parents saying there is a cutoff time for homework and whatever doesn't get done doesn't get done. And that tends to work better for kids who are still intrinsically motivated. Um, If you have a kid who would be totally fine not doing homework, this is not going to work for them. But if you have a kid who's really going to struggle with not completing a task that their teacher expected them to complete, this will work, but requires your child believing that after 7.30 or after 8 o'clock, there is no more homework in our household because we as a family value downtime and relaxation time and together time, then the student is able to adjust. And that false sense... I call it a false sense of urgency, but then it actually becomes a true sense of urgency because they're not going to be allowed to do it past a certain period of time. But that also requires a parent being comfortable with things not getting done. And what I will say is that there might be a couple of times when you enforce that 8 p.m. cutoff, but then you really don't have to enforce it anymore because your kid knows that you mean business. Steph, what would you add? I would just add, remember, it's about the follow through. Right. With any behavior plan or with any family structure, if you decide with your partner or if you're a single parent, you decide this is what you're going to do, no matter the tears, the pleading, the compromises that your child will come up with. And you know what? I have to commend them. They're pretty clever and creative when they do this. But a hundred percent. But you have to follow through. So it's not reasonable for your child to be doing homework when they are in second grade at 8 p.m. No. They should be in bed. And if the homework is taking too long, that's one reason. But we're talking about a separate reason right now. We're talking about the kid that just wants to mess around and play video games all afternoon and doesn't want to start homework. So keep that in mind. 
we're going to give a lot of ideas and a lot of strategies for how to tackle homework. And I just want to say up front, and I know Steph will back me up on this, please do not try all of them at once. Yes. <laughs> it will not work. You need to pick the one that makes the most sense for the problem that's bugging you the most. Yes. So pick the problem that is the most urgent and assess that one. I often say it's about triage. And I know you use this too, Rachel, yeah, right? Yeah. It's about when you're having a medical emergency and you know there's been a train derailment and they come in and they decide what is the most important problem, what problems can get dealt with a little bit later, and what problems are the kind of the would-be nice or mm-hmm. the, the, the cuts and the scrapes. You really need to figure out and identify what is the main problem going on. So if the main problem is that your child refuses to start homework before 9 p.m., then creating and shifting the sense of urgency for your child will definitely be a game changer for you. As Steph and I were writing this episode, we realized we need to address the working parents in our audience. Not all parents are present at homework time. And so what it becomes about is there usually is an adult who is with your child in the after-school hours and empowering them and teaching them how you would like things to be done and what the rules and structure and boundaries are. And this is a great opportunity also to incentivize your kids. Steph, do you want to talk a little bit about that, what working parents can do in terms of incentivizing their kid? So I often like to say this is about finding out your child's currency. Right. You'll hear us say that a lot. Yeah, we definitely talk about it. So what is your child's currency? So what will they be willing to work for? Depending on the age, gender, et cetera, of your student developmentally, this could be anything from earning an eraser. I mean, I would have loved to earn an eraser when I was in first or second grade. Oh, stickers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had a sticker book for sure. For sure. As they get older, it might be that you create a point system. It might be that you create ways for them to earn things like iTunes gift cards or things like that. But it doesn't have to be screen time. Screen time. I was going to say it doesn't have to be monetary or physical. It could be something as much as screen time or earning a play date or earning things that you know your child will work for. You know your child best. So make sure that it aligns with what works for you as a family. And we're talking about incentivizing your kid, but what we're really talking about is if you're a working parent, you do not want to come home and do homework with your kid. You really, you're done with your work day. And the ideal scenario is that they'd be done with theirs. So this is about preserving family time. Steph, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about flat out homework refusal and meltdowns because this is something that you're really good at managing with your clients. And I like learning from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, okay. I seem to get in my practice, I seem to have a lot of uh, refusal and meltdowns that come in. What do you, how do you define refusal? Refusal. I I, I can think of of several examples. Yeah. So kids that don't want to try because it feels too hard. Mm-hmm. So they just shut down, won't do it, say they can't, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of learned helplessness for some of them. It isn't because necessarily that they want to defy you or their teachers. It's because it's hard, mm-hmm. okay? So going back to incentivizing them, it's about thinking about those ways that will work. So helping your child break down the homework And what is reasonable for them and setting those reasonable goals. If they do one problem 
or one section, that could be a win. And I know it doesn't feel like that could be a win because you still have three more pages. But if you continue to build on success, they're more willing once they see that they can do it to be able to want to do more. And this is our mantra, right? To start small. I talk a lot with my clients about you don't learn a new concept in math with four or five figures. You learn a new concept with single digit numbers because it's not about the computation. It's about how you approach the task and you build on the skill. So that's why you'll hear Steph and I say time and time again, success will breed success. And you get to define what that looks like in your family. And remembering that there are strategies that might work for your child or you to make sure that you are able to get through it when it becomes hard. So sometimes I build in little breaks for kids or if they are kids that when they get super frustrated, we talk about breathing and we might do a breathing exercise or I might have them draw something on a piece of paper for two minutes or jump on the trampoline for two minutes. There are so many different ways that you can help your child get that stress out when they get really frustrated and they start to refuse or have a meltdown and they just start crying before you get there, think about what you can build in so that it can be achievable. It's about building the coping strategy before the meltdown is happening. When I was teaching preschool, we, I used to have to talk to parents a lot about how to manage a tantrum. And the key to managing a tantrum and what I would talk to them about is what you do before the tantrum starts. You let your child know this is where you go. This is the safe, soft, cushiony area for you to go and melt down and be angry. And it's the same thing. It's about having those strategies in place ahead of time. It's probably going to happen. But talking to your child about how you want them to cope because it's going to happen. And it also gives them permission to know that this is a very human reaction. There's nothing wrong with melting down. But it's about how you rebound too, right? Yeah. We also want to make sure we talk about the right set of circumstances to make homework happen. And here are some quick tips that can make homework easier. The first is have an extra set of books at home. If your child's in middle school or high school, I really struggle, first of all, when they are carrying those big books. It's not healthy for their bodies. They very often forget what books they need to bring home. Having a second set of books at home immediately alleviates that because it's very frustrating to have homework but not have the right materials. You could also have a digital copy of books, which I'm a big fan of. The next thing is getting homework in advance. So this is particularly for little guys, that you could get the spelling packet on Friday before the weekend so you can start practicing. And it doesn't have to get all pushed into a couple of days, especially on those weeks when it's a short week and the teacher still decides that even though you're out of school on Wednesday, that they still give a spelling packet on right, Monday, right. that you want to have a couple extra days to spread it out and really have a strategy about how you're going to approach it. And this really does require you knowing how to partner with your child's teacher, which we're going to dig into a little bit later in this episode, as I've said. If your child habitually does not bring home the right material, Talk to your child's teacher about emailing assignments or even letting your kid take a picture of it if they're old enough to have a phone. Remember, my dad would always say this when I was trying to make things too complicated. He would go, KISS, Rachel, KISS, which is an acronym. It, well, a mnemonic, really, for keep it simple, stupid. You want whatever you arrange with your child's teacher to be easy for you to manage and important, very importantly, easy for your child's teacher to do for you as well. 
The next thing is keep a clean workspace. When I was going into people's homes and working with their children. This was before you had an office. Before we both had offices, we were traveling and going into homes to work with clients. There were so many times where kids wouldn't have a place to do their homework. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times kids would be doing homework on their beds. On the couch. On the couch or in a messy area where there was a lot of other stuff going on. So it's really important to have a clean workspace. When I went to a a client's home, we organized their desk. Mm -hmm. We made a map of where everything Mm -hmm. should go so that everything had its own spot. So he knew where he should be doing these assignments. There's a book that came out a couple of years ago that has had a big impact. And there's books that come out every five, 10 years about how to live a clutter-free life. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Marie Kondo book, The Magical Art of Sparking Joy. And there's one part in it that really, really got me because I'm like, oh my God, she's talking about me. The Magical Art of Cleaning Up? No, it's The Magical Art of Tidying Up. Oh, Tidying Up, yeah. And she was talking about how before students study, they actually clean their workspace. And when I was in college, I went to Berkeley. Before finals, it was inevitably when all my laundry was done, all my stuff was put away. I do not live like that on a normal basis. It is a constant struggle for me to keep things in their spot. But she talked about how there's actually a scientific understanding of this and that a lot of people go through it because before you can have a clean mind and a clear mind, you have to have a clean physical space around you. And so this is something that you can take a look at in your family, see where your child is doing homework and if that makes the most sense for them. Also, make sure that you have a list with your students, friends, phone numbers, etc. If you don't have one already, We always recommend starting it at the beginning of the year. But if you're mid-year and listening to this, start one now. It's never too late because if your child forgets something, they can reach out and text or call and get it from someone in their class. This is something that Steph and I do at the beginning of the year with our students who have phones. We want to make sure they have the phone number of at least one or two people from every class. And they often look at us like we're crazy. We're not. We're just anticipating what we think may happen. And so kind of setting themselves up, just like we were talking about having when your child is tantruming, having a space that they know they're supposed to go to, they may forget something at some point. We put in a lot of backup for them. And that's just a quick and simple thing. So it's important to also partner with your child's teacher. And we're going to talk a lot about how to partner with the school. But the first and most important thing to remember is the teachers have a lot on their plate. Approaching them through this lens and acknowledging how hard they are already working will be appreciated. I was going to say, this is something that I see in emails sometimes or when going to meetings with a teacher. Sometimes it's just acknowledging or bringing them a cup of coffee or saying, I really appreciate all the things that you're doing for my child. It's made a huge difference in our lives. The language that we're using, I think, is actually pretty significant because we're saying the word partner. And what partner implies is that there's collaboration on both ends. And so acknowledging the larger scope of that your child needs something different than maybe the rest of the class does, it goes a long way. Both Steph and I are former classroom teachers, and Mm -hmm. we had to partner a lot with the parents in our class. And if you come at it from a nice perspective, it really makes the teacher more inclined 
to work with you, which is ultimately what you want is you want that partnership with them. You don't want an antagonistic relationship with your child's teacher. Even if you think they're not doing the good and right thing all the time, they are still working very, very hard trying to manage the individual needs of a lot of kids. The second thing to do is to have a talk with your child's teacher at a mutually convenient time. And that means you're clear with your child's teacher about what you're going to talk about. And this is actually really important. And I never send an email to a parent without requesting a conversation, without telling them exactly what I want to talk about in the conversation. Gives them time to prepare. And I don't like getting an email saying we need to talk, right? Nobody likes that email. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I would do in order to kind of avoid that as a classroom teacher is before conferences, I would send out an email asking the parents if there's anything that you want to be sure that we cover in your child's conference. And I sourced concerns in advance and because no one likes the blind side. Please don't send an email to your child's teacher saying, we have to talk. We have to talk is ominous, anxiety-producing for the recipient. Asking for help is the way to go. And don't forget the thank you. This is actually the most critical step of all with communication. A simple email thanking them for their time and not asking anything more of them will make them more inclined to partner with you. And be mindful of how you're coming across. If someone wanted to partner with you, what are the things that would make you feel good about that interaction? A lot of what we're saying is very much common sense. Steph and I get CC'd on a lot of emails between parents and and classroom teachers. And oftentimes, We know the parent and we know their concern. And look, written communication is really difficult. So having someone read over an email, both Steph and I have had to tell parents before, I think you need to send a follow-up because I don't think you came across with the tone that you intended. And I want to make sure that your child still gets what we're asking for. So like we've talked about, setting goals within homework. So that means... Getting this done in this amount of time, maybe. Or when you complete this, then you can do this, like I talked about before. Tutors can be a huge help, and then they can turn into a hindrance. We want to be very mindful about how we're using tutors. And this is an ongoing conversation I have with a lot of clients because before parents turn to ed therapy, they're trying to remediate the content that they think their child is missing when really there's all these other elements going on in the background that we kind of step in and start to support. And then there's an overall shift in the child. But tutors can help in a million ways. But you have to be mindful because at a certain point, the tutoring will become a crutch. And we're teaching dependence and not independence. And you want to be really mindful of when it makes that shift. It can be minute. It can be very difficult to sense. And tutors do not have the same mentality as an ed therapist. They're not trying to work themselves out of a job. Ed therapy, you're trying to work yourself out of a job. You want the independence for your child. So we often have to have this conversation of how many times a week do we actually need the tutoring? Because We actually want our students to kind of struggle for a second and then thrive so that they see that they can. So be mindful about that when it comes to tutoring. What's another strategy that you love for homework stuff? So homework shouldn't be perfect. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to repeat that. I agree. Homework shouldn't be perfect. All right. So please, please don't correct it for your child or don't 
sit there and make them correct it then, Mm-mm. okay? Because 80% correct is considered mastery. Your child's teacher needs to know where they are at. If they're coming in with perfect homework, your child's teacher is assuming they've mastered it and there's nothing else that they need to do as far as reinforcement. But if your child is actually going in with homework that they've completed themselves, it's going to help them on so many different levels because it's helping inform the teacher. And it's also helping them learn and figure out not only what they're doing wrong, but how to correct it rather Mm -hmm. than just being told how to correct it. You want your child to seek out how they're going to fix things when they don't understand them, not just to be told. So that goes back to the tutor Mm-hmm. hindrance a little bit the crutch of just having oh well i'm just going to do it because my mom or dad's just going to tell me what i got wrong and then i'll fix it most teachers do about completion rather than correct and if your teacher is a teacher that does just on correct then it might be one of those conversations that you do have with your child's teacher about shifting the expectation mm-hmm. we're not saying don't check your child's homework That's not what we're saying at all. No, we're saying don't correct it. We're saying don't correct it because it's actually a really important part of the homework process. And we want to build this skill of self-correction for your child. Yes. So as always, we hope that this episode was helpful in giving kind of a different perspective. And Steph and I are educators and we come out homework from a very different perspective than I think a lot of other people do. And we hope this allowed you to kind of shift the lens as we talked about all these conversations that Steph and I have off air. As always, you can connect with us at Learn Smarter Podcast on Instagram or my Instagram at Cap, that's K-A-P-P, Ed Therapy. And Steph, your Instagram? My Ed Therapist. Or you can see us on Facebook in the Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast group. If you want to have a conversation about homework and what to specifically target with your child first, we know that we gave a lot of information in this episode. So if you want to help kind of funneling it towards what would benefit your child, don't hesitate to book a strategy session. You could do that on our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com. Steph and I would be really excited to connect with you and help make homework a more enjoyable time of day in your house. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.